a listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Grill. It's just like a bit of a box of automotive chocolates for your Valentine's Day. No calories, we promise. Just kilowatt goodness with a red ribbon around it, delivered by my mate Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Joined for this ride by uh, the boss of the VACC, who we love talking to, Jeff Gwillem and Shane Jacobson, who I mentioned, who's literally been up the front of the truck and on the road, mate, haven't you? Mate, uh, I have been everywhere, man. You know, we... Uh when we last spoke, I was in Adelaide uh, doing Hairspray, the musical. That finished. So, yeah, I jumped on the road and drove back to Melbourne. I was in Melbourne for, I think, 27 minutes before I had to refuel and uh, head up to Sydney. The way, and I do want to say a special hello to the makers um, of Coconut Sugar and Samboy Chips. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you turn up in a servo, and sometimes I turn up in the servo just to do this, I, I cannot help but get a packet of chicken chips when you're on the road. I was on my own. I had no one in the car. That's my excuse. But when I've got the family in the car, it's like, no kids, we're getting a water. Your mother's made some sandwiches. You know what I mean? But when I'm on my own, man, yeah. I'm like a trucker. When the kids are in the car with you, I'll bet it's pristine, done right. But when you're on these road trips on your own, I'll bet the cab's dirty, the the Sandboy chips are spilling places. Is that what's going on? Come yeah, on. and the Back in Black album has just about worn out. I don't know how you wear out a digital copy of Back in Black, but I've done it. Hey, listen, we talked in a very early edition of The Grill about Chico Rolls and Roadhouses. Be honest, every time you go into one of those now, do you pause and think about the Chico Roll? So until someone bothers, and I'm not sure why they haven't bothered to do this, to send a Chico Roll into a lab so they can just tell us what, finally tell us what's inside that rat's coffin, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just never going to – I reckon it is the one thing I do draw a line at. It is the Chico Roll. They look embarrassed to be in the Bay Marie themselves. Uh, and Greg Rust and Shane Jacobson and Jeff Gwillem will be doing Chico Roll make goods for quite some time now when their communication team calls us after this episode. Jeff, welcome to you. Uh, can we start with a great little thing I saw in the Herald Sun recently, you talking about – National Electric Vehicle Strategy. Did your views on this strike a chord with Canberra? What kind of feedback did you get? Well, look, it's a, it's a long-burning Canberra. There's a whole lot of uh, statements around where we're going to be on electric vehicles. Uh, the Fed say nine out of ten of vehicles purchased by 2030 will be electric. These are very aspirational targets. But, look, you've got to start somewhere. But I couldn't help, Greg, get a, and I don't know if you guys saw it, there was a great shot that went up on the internet last week of a Tesla service van filling up with uh, a premium fuel at a servo. <laughs> no. I remember there was an electric bus in uh, electric bus in London. That that shot was of the generator running next door on the diesel to pump the electricity into the bus. <laughs> so it's not a pure journey. But you know, in Canberra, I think they're focused on on these. You know, the the Paris Agreement and meeting the targets, which is good. But uh, you know, we're all part of the journey. Great work, my friend. Vote one, Jeff Gwillem. Progress is his middle name in the automotive sector. <laughs> now, coming up in this episode, a good Australian story, 80 
vehicles tucked away in a private collection in a home, mm. doesn't it? Sounds like Chateau Jacobson, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, the January VFAX <laughs> results are in uh, and a very positive start to the new year. And across the two episodes, reminder, we are fortnightly now with The Grill. We'll talk about uh, results by category too. And as Jeff will tell you, January was a very good start for um, for the game. Our feature guest just happens to drive a supercar for his day job and he likes wheeling a sprint car on weekends off. Pretty good at it too. He really lights up when you uh, you head down the road and, and chat that subject with him. So Cam Waters is coming on the show. That'll be good. Originally from Mildura, he's from a family that loves cars and racing and he is restoring a seriously cool XB Falcon. So we'll get our teeth into that. Our member guest this episode works on the tyre side of the business and is a part of TACC's executive. So you know about VACC, we told you about that in the introduction, but the Tasmanian Automotive Chamber of Commerce is kind of hooked up to the same battery as VACC. They're tightly connected, do some great things together. So looking forward to that as well. But first, time for Cop This. Yeah, Rusty, uh, we're heading to your neighbourhood. And what oh. I mean by that is we spoke some time ago, I don't know why I get infatuated by these things, I just do, about the world's longest police chase. And we, I think we spoke about it some time ago. Which you watched extensively, didn't you? Or you watched a 90-minute cut down of the 10-hour <laughs> chase, whatever it was, something, didn't you? <laughs> and, and, and again, I think we spoke about the fact, remember there was that show which was just the camera strapped to the front of the train that went, I don't know, across Australia and we all sat down and watched it? Anyway, um... The world's longest police chase, right, has now been at 720 kilometres in New Zealand. Like, Ooh. And, I mean, from from the top to the bottom just about, they caught the guy after 16 hours, <laughs> right? So That's a fair chunk of one of the islands. <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's most of it, yeah. So it began at 1am on the South Island and took nearly 16 hours. Police had to abandon the car chase three times due to safety concerns. I would think over that time you would. So the driver eventually dumped the car and police caught the suspect. So they didn't catch him in the car. He actually got out and ran. They caught him on foot. Would have been an easier chase, I would have thought. So uh, the Subaru driver allegedly led police. I love the fact that it's allegedly. I reckon they know by now um, on th- what they considered three separate pursuits. I reckon that's why they pull out and go, no, no, it's a whole new case we can still be doing for. And um, yeah, so it ended on, the, on New Zealand's uh, South Island. But the bit I love is they interviewed someone who saw it go past and one witness claimed he watched the blue Subaru fly past in a 50-kilometre-an-hour zone while he was refuelling in a small town near Otago. She was pretty full-on, mate. It would have been going about 180, 200 clicks. Would have been off the clock, Ricky James told New South Wales Police. Must have been a twin turbo. I love the detail of this guy. He's clearly one of our listeners. Must have been a twin turbo Subaru Legacy. Would have had a bit of work done. Would Would have been hard for them to catch, I reckon. Yeah, nice. And I love the fact that this cop this because of a prior episode, has taken you down a whole rabbit hole of where is the world's longest police chase. <laughs> the truth is I think I'm going to Google it every week as that for a sad confession. I'm going to sit at home with a can of Coke and some chicken chips and Google longest police chase. Stay tuned. A quick break to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their general CT brake pads the perfect braking solution for everyday driving. 
Bendix General CT brakes utilize stealth advanced technology, offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day-to-day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping performance, low dust, low rotor wear, and enhanced durability. Bendix Blue Titanium Stripe technology removes the need for bedding in and noise-absorbing shims reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT brake pads, available from all good Bendix stockers. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Hey, speaking of brakes, Rusty, time for breaking news. I'm going to kick off today with an unbelievable collection of motorcycles, vintage motorcycles. So a retired uh, cray fisherman from Urian Bay in uh, in WA has brought together over time 80 vintage bikes. And many of them, uh, by the, the sounds of the article, MSN did a great story on this. It is actually, Jeff, which I, I know will strike a chord with you, I think it's the world's largest collection of Vincent motorcycles. This is amazing, isn't it? It is. Yep, it's it's unbelievable. But even more unbelievable, uh, Greg, yesterday I looked on the internet at where this is located in WA. Yeah. It's 200 kilometres north of Perth. Stunning little spot, but it's just amazing the fact that this guy's built this collection there. You you were like me, weren't you? The first thing you did is go, Where, where's Urian Bay? How do I – That's do what I, I did. Where, where can <laughs> I see these damn things? Yep. So, uh, I mean, the Vincent, as you know, mate, um, they built them, I think, from 1928 to 1955. Among this collection – He's got, I think, two factory race bikes. They initially made 24 of these things. There's only 19 left in the world, and he's got two of them. That's the, I, I love the conversation here because I think Shane does the old, um, if you look over there, I've got this as one as one vehicle leaves and a new one, a new one goes into the garage. <laughs> I love the fact that the way he made them fit is he's got them in, as he got them in his, like, passageways, lounge rooms, back verandas, like, He's just, they're all through his house. It's, they're not in a shed per se, are they? They're all through his house, aren't they? I, I think he did initially, <laughs> but I think he's now got a purpose-built display of some sort. But, yes, that, that was an issue at, at some point. There's a big question here, though, Greg. There's got to be money in crayfish. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Can we go, Jeff, to your old stomping ground? Um, I, I want to talk barn finds for a minute, right? So there, there's one on on Britain's Greatest Barn Find Hall. And there's, there's a stack of slides here with all sorts of different cars that are dusty, have been tucked away, all sorts of, you know, British and, and European brands that are that are among the find here. I know people have made television programs about hoarders. I know some people do, you know, genuinely have an issue around this thing. Who the hell tucks a car away like that? Not just one, but but times however many and leaves them forever. Crazy. I think this is phenomenal, Greg. This is up in London. This bloke's mate's got this huge warehouse space and there's some cracking cars in there. And I I think it's one of those things where he parked one at the front one day and as he bought them, he just parked them one behind the other and ends up with over a million pounds. I actually think there's more than a million pounds worth of car in there anyway. So do I. There's some, there's some nice motors in there. There's a lot of purple on a couple as well. So depending where you park it, it's going to depend on the condition of the car. But that's a big collection. 
I love this whole notion of barn finds. If you've seen stories in Australia, maybe you know of a couple that are tucked away, we'd love you to send them to us just to, to chat about them a bit more. Info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Before we complete the news and jump into VFAX, what about the 1970 Dodge Hemi Challenger? Well, I think it was coming up for auction uh, in Indianapolis. Top Gear did a, a yarn on this. It's nicknamed the Black Ghost. And I think if the story is right, the the fellow that drove it, his ex-US Army, joined the Detroit Police Department, but he had a habit of sneaking this thing out and getting some wins <laughs> under the cover of darkness with some street racing, didn't he? A car's got to have a good a good nickname. And uh, I love in Australia, we call them Betsy, like we, we drove a Betsy. It's so American to go... It's the Black Ghost, or what, what, what's it called, the Black Ghost? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? We're used to hearing Eleanor. I mean, Eleanor was a great name. I love the fact they've gone Black Ghost. But they are such a such a great looking car. I mean, it is a, it's a muscle car. I mean, I mean, I know you and me spoke during the week just via social media, mate, uh, about a certain pie making mate of yours yes. who has a very decent car. But it's it's a it's a great looking thing. You know, I hate admitting this every now and then, but Americans do make good muscle cars. Now, the car you wanted to talk about yes, belongs to none other than four-time Bathurst winner Greg Murphy. So, Jeff, to paint a picture for you, he lived in Melbourne for, for many years while he was following and, and uh, competing in the Supercars Championship. He's relocated back to where he grew up in New Zealand, but he's always had a soft spot for the Dodge Charger. So he's had for a number of years now, maybe nearly a decade, I want to say, a 1969 model. So nice. for the listeners, you're almost sort of venturing down into, into Dukes of Hazard territory here in relative looks. And he wanted to do something unique with the restoration on this thing. So pre-COVID, it went to Ring Brothers in the United States. I think he'd been to the SEMA show and seen some of the work that they'd done. He got introduced to them uh, and it stayed there. It more or less got trapped over the whole COVID period in the US, they gradually kept toiling away on the build of this thing. They nicknamed it. I think Murph's wife came up with the name Monique. She came up with the name Captive because it was trapped in in America. <laughs> and the build work they've done on this thing, guys, is unbelievable. It's this – you can find it on Murph's socials. It's an amazing yellow colour that I think has Porsche origins, if I'm not wrong. The interior, when I got in it the other day, I was almost nervous. I didn't want to make a mark on it. And the sort of power plant that he's put in it is actually very user-friendly, very drivable. The end product is just jaw-droppingly beautiful. But Murph even said every now and then it scares him, mate. And you've been in this thing, haven't you? I mean, it is a, it looks fantastic, but it's a bit of a weapon still, it's, isn't it's it? It's a weapon. It's a head turner, an absolute head turner. We haven't had, I spent a bit of time, as you guys know, in New Zealand. We haven't had a great summer from a weather point of view, but we did in the past uh, week or so have some nice sunny conditions to take it out. And it's um, left-hand drive. Very special thing. And uh, and we should let people know when I said a pie maker that his family were in fact uh, known for making pies in New Zealand, weren't they? <laughs> no, he had his name <laughs> attached to one at some point. That'll get back, my oh, friend. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Only because Jeremy Clarkson used to always refer to Murph as, uh, the, pie maker. as the great pie maker. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, let's turn our attention to VFAX now. Before we launch off the, the kind of new January 2023 figures, just remind us where we ended up last year and give us a prediction for the year ahead. Uh, last year, 1,081,429 cars. You know, we pitched about 1.1 1. 1, uh, last year. So that's good. I would estimate this year, Greg, that we'll go 1.150. 1, that's 1,150,000 1, cars. Ooh. Um, 
And the reason I say that is even when the economic, we were seeing some economic pressures last year, but it didn't stop us buying over a million cars. So this is a real challenge with us, of course, at the moment with inflation that, you know, we've got people buying and buying, we've got inflation going up, but I'm arguing there's still a pent up demand for cars, post-COVID cars, and there's post-COVID money that's still out there. And that, and I think we're going to go well over one well over 1.1 million cars this year. Does January's results sort of reflect that? Let's let's you know kind of see if those those figures, if you'll share them with us, um, back the the prediction. They do, and it's it is a good start to the year. So uh, January we sold 84,873,000 cars. But you know for January that's good. It's an increase of 11.9 percent over January last year, and it represents the best January since 2018. So the the signals are there. All market segments were up uh, in January based on last year, January last year, that is. So SUVs were up 17.9%. SUVs as a segment have been growing for the last 10 years. But just to put that into perspective, in January, we sold 46,000 SUVs in Australia in one month alone. I think that's a phenomenal figure. Passenger vehicles up 5.5%. I'm saying that that a lot of those are Tesla numbers. So the Tesla 3 is a passenger vehicle. Now, remember, passenger vehicles were softening last year in terms of the segment. But I think as people get into the Tesla 3 in particular, which is, a you know, it's in the top 10 uh, now, uh, that's pumping the passenger vehicles up. Light commercial vehicles were up 1.6% and heavy commercial vehicles were up 33.3% on January last year. Now, you've said that the heavy commercial sales are always kind of a good indicator, a good sign that the economy's on the move, and, and here we have it. Yeah, look, I, I've always argued if you've got light commercial and heavy commercial, particularly heavy commercial because it's road haulage and it's construction and engineering, hauliers that buy 10 or 20 trucks are doing it on the basis that they've done their maths around an extended work supply, and same with the infrastructure projects. You know, you, you've got to buy these things two years out sometimes, so... They are very good economic signs as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you've got to remember that automotive manufacturing in Australia for passenger cars, you know, there's a little bit of specialist stuff out there. It's gone, but we still make a lot of heavy vehicles in Australia and growth in this market is good for local vehicle builders and body makers as well. So all states and territories recorded increased sales by the looks of these numbers in January 2023 compared to the same period last year, last January. Things like ACT up 18.6%, New South Wales up 15%, even 143 in Queensland, wasn't it? Most of the states were, were very strong. Tasmania not quite, so 2.9% up there. But remember, they bought cars all through COVID because the lockdown wasn't as strong there. WA is up 4.3%. So all the states are up which is a good sign. You know, we would say people are feeling confident about buying cars, particularly last year. Heavy commercial sales recorded the highest sales growth of all market segments. Growth trends continued into 2023. 3,027 heavy commercial vehicles sold in January. That's a, It's a small number, but you've got to remember some of these heavy vehicles cost hundreds of thousands of dollars with a tractor unit on the front. And if there's a trailer there, that's a very expensive kit. And even in light vehicles, 18,546 light vehicles sold in January, again, up 1.6% on January last year. So do you reckon that we'll see more EV light vehicles on our road this year? Yeah, definitely. I think the heavy vehicle stuff's a bit further out because I think they'll be linked to hydrogen electric, what I call hydrogen electric. But even though in January we only sold four EV light vehicles, 
Uh, last January, we didn't sell any, but I think governments will look closer and closer at vehicles, particularly doing drops in metropolitan areas. And uh, I think that they'll slowly bring in mandates around those vehicles having to be electric. So I would say that there'll be good positive growth in light uh, electric commercial vehicles this year. And again, that's good for local manufacturing because we do a bit of it here. Sure do. There is a lot more to come in this space. On that note, we will take a deeper dive into other areas of VFAX in the next edition of The Grill. A reminder, you can get that fortnightly and that's not too far away. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry from Ignition coils to engine management sensors, AC components and alternators, filters to fuel pumps, and much, much more. Plus, cutting-edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide, built to last the distance and keep you on our roads longer, thanks to the industry-leading facilities that they have right here in Australia. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso, or you can find your part at denso.com.au. With so much interest among our members for the Supercars Championship and the 23 season almost upon us, the sport about to launch into a brand new chapter, we thought it would be great timing to get one of their stars on for our feature interview this episode. Now, a little bit of background. He's from a family that truly loves cars, have been kind of embedded around it, Speedway especially. He's having a ball in a sprint car again uh, over summer. But most of you will know him from that stealth black monster Mustang that he drives for the Tickford team. Really cool to get this bloke on the show. Cam Waters, hello. Welcome to The Grill. G'day, fellas. Thanks for having me. Family life for you. You grew up in Mildura. We love catching up with your dad, Chris, at uh, at various race meetings. He's still, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong here, he still runs an NZ outlet up in those parts and has done since something like 1988. Is that right? Yeah, he's um, had a, a fair bit to do with the NZ uh, over the years. Still got the the business. Um, you know, it's a family business. And my brother's slowly taking it over. Dad wants out. He'd retire tomorrow, but my mum, she's um, hanging on for grim death. So um, trying to push her out the door and, and make him go on holidays. But, um, yeah, love motorsport, love cars, and um, that's what the Waters family is all about. So when did the bug bite for you and is Dad responsible? How did that kind of all come about? Dad used to race Speedway, um, you know, when I was a young, young tacker. Used to go watch him, um, you know, I was five, six years of age and um, – wanted to do that myself. So it was dad that, you know, started it all. He sold, you know, the Speedway car and all that stuff around that age, got me a go-kart and um, haven't really stopped racing since. Cam, Shane here, mate. Sprint cars, it's the only, I'll, I'll be honest, I, you know, I have nowhere near your skill level, but I've been given great opportunities in the past to jump in cars with top gear and just other opportunities. But the sprint cars are the things that always terrify me. I have been invited to jump in one. And I just made sure I wasn't available that day because <laughs> can you talk me through the power weight stats on those things? Because they make no sense at all because it's all motor. You're sitting on what used to be, well, they used to say it was a beer keg, didn't they? You were sitting up on a stool. Like the power weight on those things, are they the most terrifying thing? You know what I mean? Like a track car I get, but speedway power weight does my brain in. You have to go around every corner completely out of control to be in the game. Yeah, well, I think they've got a better power weight than an F1 car. So about... 600 kilos with me in it, 
and about 900 horsepower. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty crazy things. And, um, you know, the start of the night when the track's, um, you know, really grippy, you use every bit of that power. You, you don't lift for the whole lap. So people think dirt's, you know, slippery and lots of wheel spin and whatnot, but you use every bit of that power. And then at the end of the night, you use about quarter throttle and it's wheel spin and the track changes so much um, across the night in a sprint car or any, any speedway event. But um, they are so much fun to drive and they terrify you a bit, but that's what makes it so enjoyable, I reckon. Are you a guy, look, I just like driving. If I'm not driving, I'm racing, I'm out. Or are you in the workshop stripping down, fixing, elongating, engineering? How far do you go in there? I guess when I was go-karting, you know, Dad and my brother always kind of made me do bits and pieces on my go-karts and I always loved doing that. And even when I went to Formula Ford, I used to go to Sonic and pull my car apart and, and get involved. It wasn't until kind of I went into the supercars main series as I couldn't really do that as much because I had two <laughs> full-time mechanics and um, they're probably a bit more qualified than, than myself. But, you know, I like getting my hands dirty, getting involved. The sprint car, I'm always, you know, doing bits and pieces on that. You spend a lot of time fixing them because they crash lots. So you always have to dig in and, and fix it. And um, I guess that's also why... I've kind of got a couple of project cars going on as well, so um, I can tinker on them. Let's go there. You've taken us there because Shane's going <laughs> to love this. Let's start with that mighty XB, mate. I, I know it's a, a project that is well advanced. You may not want to share everything right now. The little stuff you have posted on Instagram looks beautiful. Where is this thing at and what can you tell the audience? It's been going on a little while now, but doing an XB coupe, um, just bought it as a shell off one of my sponsors who he had a couple of them at the time so thought it was a great idea to buy one off him and didn't really realize how much work was going to be involved but <laughs> anyway we we got over that hurdle yeah it's got all the driveline finished now and got engineering done and it's in queensland it rides by cam getting bodywork finished so it's about halfway through bodywork hoping to have it finished probably by the end of this year but yeah there's there's nothing stock about it. it's got you know an old kind of supercar engine which has been put out to six liter so it makes about 750 horsepower it's on airbags and gone full silly with it it's going to be pretty cool when it's done it's not just this car you've also bought something else (laughs) did i spot an xp as well what are you doing there yeah so i i couldn't help myself i was getting frustrated the xp wasn't finished and um i was racing at smp and wasn't going well, so I was a bit sad and needed something to, to lift my spirit, so I went and bought an XP. An emotional purchase. <laughs> it was an emotional purchase, and, um, yeah, now I've got two projects that aren't finished. So, yeah, it's an XP four-door. I bought it at the time just to, you know, get it going and, and leave it stock. But um, somehow I've, I've gone off that path again, and um, I put a Coyote in it and oh, wow. nine-inch and, and gone silly with that one as well, so... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have two very cool cars when they're done. And Cam, it must be great just to know that one day when you decide to to stop racing cars, which we hope is no time soon, that because you've got that XP, you'll be able to sell that and have enough money to retire. <laughs> 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 well, uh, they're definitely going up and up in value. So um, hopefully by the time I do retire, that I'll be able to get a fair bit for it. But the idea is not to sell these cars, but to you know, keep them and and having to drive one day, and um, I don't think I'm going to stop with these two cars. So um, hopefully I'll get a bit of a collection going. 
Cam's a good fellow and he's kindly agreed to do this chat in two parts. So the good news for those of you listening is there's more to come. Don't worry. When our next episode drops in a fortnight's time, we'll talk about his career with the Tickford team and the next generation of supercars currently hitting the track. It's an exciting new chapter. That's all ahead here on The Grill. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch hits to OE clients, Exidy has earned a reputation for trust, respect and quality. All Exidy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch discs and release bearings and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exidy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more at exidy.com.au. Time to chat with our member guest for this edition of The Grill. Peter Killick is the owner of Bridgestone Select Tyres in Moona, Tasmania, passionate member of the TACC Executive Committee, and he's on the line. Welcome to The Grill. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the unusual entry into the whole automotive industry that it sounds like you had. How did this all get started? Uh, it's been a bit of a story, Rusty. Um I had uh, started in construction when I was 15 years old and uh, had 33 years in construction right up to a general manager of one of Tassie's largest building companies and uh, just had a bit of a moment where I thought uh, I'd like to do something different and uh, Bridgestone Select Moon, it was on the market. So I thought, well, I've always had a hanking towards a tyre shop, so let's go and give that a whirl. So uh, that was seven years ago now. Are you enjoying that whole, um, you know, from time to time, Shane and I, in a, in a corporate sense, have had uh, dealings with them. How have you found it? What are the learnings? And, and you know, often when you're at a seven-year period um, for a business, you you get a, um, a real grip on things. Do you feel like that's the case? Yeah, look, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And the emphasis for me has been on fun with the team of people that I've got. At that stage of my life, I was like, well, you know, you don't really do this um, and then head down the wrong path. So I've got to enjoy it. I've got to make it as enjoyable as I possibly can. And, and that's our, you know, it's serious business, obviously, but we do have a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of laughs and a lot of giggles and a few tears every now and again. But, uh, yeah, look, it's um, – and Bridgestone have, have been a fantastic company to work for uh, and work alongside. So I guess I've probably I enjoyed throwing the suit away getting the old clothes back out again and the Blunson's back on and uh, I don't mind going out fitting tyres with the service fitters and uh, this morning I've been uh, rolling around some truck tyres getting ready for retreading, so I'm a bit smelly, but uh, that, that's all good fun. Peter, can we lead you in the direction of the fact that you're a TACC Executive Committee member? What are kind of the priorities in your part of the world for the auto industry right now? Yeah, look, uh, I think certainly the issue that I've personally or affects me most is tyre recycling. It's a really big issue and um, it's a major problem and, and even more so in Tassie because we've got to get them off the island and, you know, Tire Cycle do a fantastic job and Bridgestone are a partner of Tire Cycle and, uh, you know, so they're all removed from, from the state responsibly but there's an awful lot that don't get removed from here and, it, it, look, it is a, a massive issue. It's a massive cost to the industry um, and I think everyone's working hard to try and find the silver bullet that we're all looking for, I guess, that 
that fixes it. And um, personally, I hope the, the asphalt is certainly seems to be a, a really good place for these tyres. So I'm really hoping that takes off. Now, I'm going to mess with our system here. I uh, hope Jeff allows us to do this. Rusty knows I wanted to talk about in our segment that we call Blow It Out Your Tailpipe. Today for our segment, which is Blow It Out Your Tailpipe, I was going to talk about this. And am I, am I allowed to mess with the schedule here, Rusty, and drag into this conversation? The you, you have never followed the run. We don't want you to follow the rundown, <laughs> my friend. You just break with tradition, turn hard right, off you go. Go on. I was going to talk about the fact that I've got the segment, which is Blow It Out Your Tailpipe. And, of course, that's a reference when we say that to the exhaust fumes that go out of a tailpipe, if we're going to take it literally. And, of course, the, you know, the next thing, as you've just discussed, is what happens when the rubber, when it's finished being useful or safe on a vehicle. So, as we're saying, it's tyre recycling. I don't think a lot of people know, and I know Bridgestone have been really headstrong about this, and their corporate social responsibility has been fantastic. I've got to say it. Um, and I've known for years what Bridgestone have tried to do. You guys have tried to deal with every tyre you touch. And by that, it doesn't matter if they pull an, a, another brand off a car. I know Bridgestone are really good at trying to get that tyre to where it should be and, and do something with it. I even know they've pumped money into trying to get, I think, university students to come up with ideas. What else can we do with these tyres? And everyone's is, you know, can't they make, you know, play equipment in kids' playgrounds? And there's a limit to how many playgrounds, you know what I mean? Honestly, you get every playground done around the planet in probably about two weeks and you go, right, what's next? But I don't think people realise that there's there's organised, I'm going to, I'm just going to call them bad humans, if you will, that, that literally were renting like farmer's land and huge warehouses. And then what they did was, so people would rent someone their warehouse they would fill that warehouse with old tyres and then just lock the door on their way out and say to the landlord, oh, yeah, I'm, I've finished my lease, I'm out of here. The landlord would go back, open the doors to this enormous shed and realise it's filled from wall to wall, north, south, east to west, to the roof with tyres and then they've got to try and deal with it. So it, ha- it has been a massive problem in the past, hasn't it? Yeah, look, I've, I've heard of those stories. Um, that sort of side doesn't happen so much in Tassie because fair chance the uh, the landlord would be the brother of someone that sisters <laughs> works for me. Uh, so that, that's that's helpful. Illegal dumping is a real issue. I mean, you, you go into some of Taz, Tazzy's, you know, pristine roads um, and go to a barbecue area and all of, all of a sudden you can find a pile of 20 car tyres and it doesn't help that um, the cost of removal of tyres in Tassie a lot of them have got to be sent to the mainland in containers where they're shredded uh, in in Melbourne. Car tyres are shredded here in Tassie and, and the, the shredded rubber is containerised and then sent to the mainland. But uh, there's certainly been an issue with industrial tyres uh, that gets, I believe, crumbed and that can be on sale to burn in incinerators. But you've got to have the right technology to to go and burn them, otherwise we're creating a bigger issue than uh, just the illegal tyres. Um, this is a fascinating uh, area because we've been talking to the government for some time about, you know, more crumbing facilities and, you know, waste-to-energy burners, and th- th- there's some movement there, but it's slow. One of the things they did in Western Australia, though, Peter, and you might want to consider it in Tasmania, they went to the state government and they said, we want you to mandate that all new roads have 10% of crumb tyre from Tasmania. And it's very hard for a government to back away from a proposition like that because, A, we know they can put up to 10% in road servicing. B, we don't want them buying crumb tyre from India when we've already got crumb tyre here. 
and uh, it's a win-win. I mean, I know that you've got to send it off, uh, you know, back out of the mainland for crumbing, but it doesn't matter. If that comes back and goes into your roads, it's being reused to some degree. So uh, I know you're across this stuff, Peter, and you, you, you know how the recycling industry works, but getting the government to commit to that 10% reusable on roads, I reckon that's not, not, not a bad idea. That's a great idea. And uh, recently the Tasmanian government put out a, an expression of interest uh, and I think they've stumped up $3 million uh, for someone to take the initiative and, and see if they can come up with a solution and some more equipment in Tasman so that we can um, shred a few more of our own tyres. So interesting to see where that goes. Peter, a couple to finish if we can. I mean, we've just come off the not too long ago, the, the holiday period, people have been doing road trips and so on. Probably a timely reminder to, to check your tyres. What kind of things are you seeing on a, on a daily basis? And give our listeners um, some tips for, you know, awareness and maintenance and so on. I think people have become far more educated um, over recent times of some of the, the cheap imported tyres that, that seem to land here in Australia. Um, so people certainly are more aware of a quality product versus a, a pretty crappy product that you can buy pretty cheap. And, and like ever always, you get what you pay for at the end of the day. Um, Bridgestone came up with that um, fantastic marketing ploy of the palm of your hand. And that's been actually um, used all over the world. Other countries have actually copied Bridgestone Australia's marketing. So those sorts of awarenesses definitely help. Um, a lot of people are, are keen to understand about the correct pressures uh, and what actually happens if a tyre is you know, incorrectly inflated. But one of the, one of the things that, that never ceases to amaze me is uh, tyres are a grudge purchase. So it's only people like me that used to get excited about going into a tyre shop and, and putting a new set of tyres on my car because it looked really nice and it was much quieter. And uh, we're, we're rarities, mate, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought everyone was like that. This has got to be a good industry to get into. Uh, so people sort of pretty keen to uh, get down to the wear indicators plus some. So that, that's a real problem. But look, I, I think people are definitely becoming more educated uh, from what I can see. And uh, it, a lot of people are just grumpy about coming into a shop, tyre shop and buying tyres to start with. So we've, we've got a, a bit of a challenge ahead of us, no matter uh, what their thinking is. It's generally uh, they'd rather spend a bit of money on a palmy than a tyre. And Pete, do you reckon we should put those people that aren't excited about getting good tread, do you reckon we should put them on a motorbike with bald tyres <laughs> on a wet road <laughs> and tell them to turn just one corner? And then go and pick them up off the road and go, right, so that's the same as a car, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's called grip. Absolutely. Shane, I've, I've, got, a, um, I've got to confess, um, I was given a set of wheels and tyres off a car that uh, you were going to be driving a few years ago when you ran the Brock Monaro in Target Taz and Mark Perry rang me up and said, look, I've got a set of wheels here off a of Monaro that Shane Jacob is going to be driving. Would you have a look at them and... Uh, because they come off a car that I don't think had been started for about 15 years. So those tyres were 15 years old. So I thought, well, I could say nothing and watch Shane wobble around Tasmania. That would be fairly entertaining on 15-year-old tyres. <laughs> <laughs> I did the right thing for you, mate. I, uh, I rang Bridgestone and uh, they air-freighted a set of brand-new RE71 RSs over for you. So I, I hope you enjoyed them. They certainly did, and I handed back the car straight, which means they were the right tyres. The only problem was... Uh, you're right, it had 15-year-old tyres on it and you put new tyres on, but the guy they had steering that car has the brain of a 15-year-old <laughs> boy. <so. laughs> 
Peter, this is a perfect way to finish because you have a beautiful, and we're all um, petrol heads at heart here. We've been, you know, talking um, about stuff around the automotive industry, the Tasmanian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and, and so on. But we love a bit of motor racing connection to finish here. You've got a tie-in with Baskerville. Before we let you go, tell us about that. Yeah, look, I've got a love affair with Baskerville Raceway, Rusty. It's, uh, I'm not sure if you've actually been there yourself. Sure have. Yep, I, I went there for uh, just in the last 12 months. Yeah, look, it's uh, our little mini Bathurst. Um, so it's been going continuously since 1956. So it's the oldest continually run racetrack in Australia. But we're blessed in Tassie to have two racetracks. Uh, we've got Simmons Plains, obviously, and, and Baskerville. But with our population, it's very challenging to maintain two racetracks. So we are lucky, but it, it does create a problem. So 10 years ago, we started the Baskerville Foundation to try and get some money raised and, and pump it into the racetrack. And uh, so far, we've raised just under $1.5 million. And uh, that's enabled us to resurface the track and redo the control tower and, and we haven't finished yet. So uh, with the Baskerville Historics each year as our main fundraiser, you know, we've still got plans to, to raise quite a bit more left and, uh, and get it back up to the jewel and the crown that it deserves to be. Well done. Gary Rogers, I know, is very keen on some uh, meetings down there and so on. It's got some great uh, rise and fall and camber in corners there and quite a, as I said a moment ago, quite a cool little amphitheatre. So wonderful that you're, uh, you know, batting on there and endeavouring to preserve it. I think that stuff's hugely important. Well done on the great work that you're doing with TACC as well and thank you so much for talking to us on The Grill today. That's been a lot of fun and uh, thanks for having me on. We are almost out of time. It's been a super episode, this one. Coming up in the next edition of The Grill, your mail, a deeper dive into VFAX. We'll run through some news. And part two of our chat with Cameron Waters ahead of the brand new supercars season. Thank you, gentlemen. Mate, don't thank me. Thank the audience. They're the ones that want us, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) We'll catch you next time, folks. See you then. This episode was brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. Listener.